Today's encounter with the truth brings us face to face with the question, what does the empty tomb of Christ say to darkness and death? Let's join our Truth Encounter study leader, Dave Wordson, in discovering a certain objective, real basis for hope and joy. Dave? I look around the audience, a lot of you are EMTs, a lot of you are medical doctors, a lot of you are medical uh, personnel, some of you work in intensive care, some of you just came out of intensive care last night and you're here today. And what you wrestle with is every day of your life you know the power of the enemy of death. I want to begin on this Easter Sunday by getting you to think about the incredible power of death. I sat in intensive care with Mary's dad many times and... I sat there at Baylor Hospital and I watched his body losing weight and I saw the curse of death grab a hold of his physical body and it took a man that I knew was strong, a man that I'd seen shoot deer and and hunt with a bow and an old cowboy, I saw him break horses and I saw the physical strength just ebb out of him. You see, that's the curse of death, that's the darkness of death. What this morning is about begins with you understanding the incredible power and curse and agony of death. Mary was telling me, if you ever notice on TV, when people die, they always shut their eyes and they always close their mouth. And Mary just suddenly turned to me and says, man, you know, how, how unrealistic can you get? Because she's been there. She's seen what happens. What happens is your muscles are gone, your mouth just drops and your eyes stay open and they're fixed. And all of you have actually been there and if you live long enough, you'll experience it with your loved ones. It can happen to young people and babies and teenagers and older people. None of us can escape this gorilla, this heinous monster called death. And what it does is it just hits you. And if you've ever experienced, if you've ever been there, it's, it's the biggest separation there is. It's the most heinous, it's the most violent, it's the most vicious. It, it sticks with you. Those of you that lost children years ago, you're still wrestling with it. Death is the biggest, most common enemy that every one of us have to face. And it's what's caused some of you to throw up your hand with the writer of the Ecclesiastes to say, it's all emptiness, it's all emptiness, nothing makes sense. Because what death does, death causes all of our hopes, all of our dreams, everything that we think makes life worth living. As you live long enough, all the hope goes out of life. And some of you deep in your heart say, well, Dave, I came today, but you know, I'm not really into this God thing, because if there's such a good God then the world shouldn't be like it. You shouldn't have to talk like you're talking. A little baby shouldn't die and soldiers shouldn't be blown apart on the battlefield and innocent victims of shouldn't get hit by a stray shrapnel that takes their life just almost by, it looks like just by sheer accident. That shit shouldn't happen. If there's a God, he should have done something. Well, I want you to stop and think because God actually did do something incredible. You know what? God's son, 2,000 years ago, in space, time, and history, came to live on this cursed planet just like you. You say, what did God do about it? God's done something about it. You see, what God did is God's Son came to live. He was everything that God His Father was. He had God's Holy Spirit every single moment of His life, and He gave you evidence. He gave evidence. He, He could touch blind eyes. He could touch lame legs. He could cause dead people to come alive. He gave you all the evidence you need. And you can study the the criticism of the New Testament and you're going to find out that from all different levels of tradition, going right back into the first century, we've got all kinds of testimony. The Jewish people that opposed him never doubted that he could do powerful, miraculous things. But to what the Bible focused on is an incredible thing. All four of the Gospels end 
with that Savior. Some of you are saying, well, I don't believe in this God thing because my friends have betrayed me. I've had friends that are jealous, and they get angry at me, and they betray me, and they're with a God in heaven. Well, you're Jesus at faith betrayal. He faced jealousy. The Jewish leaders, the religious leaders were jealous of him, so they betrayed him, and they killed him. Some of you say, well, my best friends have lied to me. And they've walked out of me. There's a good God. Jesus had his best friends betray him and deny him and walk out on him. In fact, some of you say, well, my own dad turned and walked away from me. Right when I needed him the most, he was gone. That's the worst evil. And my whole life is filled with despair because my dad didn't come through for me. Jesus on the cross of Calvary had to yell out, my God, my God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As we are sitting here today, we happen to live in a world where the ultimate God of the universe happens to be three persons in one, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And God the Son has come to this planet. And what he's done is he's experienced all those ugly things, all those things that make you want to curse God and make you want to lose hope and yell out, it's emptiness of emptiness. The real biblical historical Jesus has entered into all of that. And on Good Friday, he died an ignominious and violent death. Peter, the apostle, who denied him three times and stood only on the outside of the crowd, they watched Jesus be crucified. Peter saw Jesus hanging there with spikes right through his wrist that would hold him up, right through his legs in the soft part where it wouldn't break any bones but would it support him. And he watched Jesus gasping in agony. So Jesus knows what it's like to be on a battlefield where people get blown up. He he got literally blown apart. Crucifixion is one of the most awful, violent ways that anyone could ever die. You asphyxiate yourself because you can't get up. You have to push yourself up. The pain of supporting yourself from the nails holding you just to get a breath. The Roman soldier thrust a big spear right through Jesus' side. Jesus knows what it is. Every one of you are going to go through pain and the pain of of sickness, the pain of death, the pain of losing loved ones. What I want you to know is you've got a Savior who doesn't just say, well, buck up, man, you can make it through. You've got a Savior that says, man, I've been there. I've done it. You see, that's the incredible thing about Jesus. Jesus has been there, done that. And what we learned last week when we were sitting together is the reason that Jesus had to die, incredibly, from the human picture of thing, he died because the Romans were stronger, because the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders were jealous, because his friends betrayed him, because he was the ultimate martyr. But what I want to share with you is that as we sit here today, we don't just have a great Socrates or a great moral teacher or a great doer of good or a great miracle worker that just happened to come afoul of the reality of evil. We have a savior that scripture tells us that though jealous hands betrayed him and abandoned him and left him and brutal hands nailed him and brutal hands thrust a spear in his side, it tells us that Jesus breathed on his last. And another side of the story tells us that a loving father in heaven offered up his son. Like Abraham of old went to a mountain. If you're from a Jewish heritage, and the essence of your Jewish heritage is Father Abraham, And one of the weirdest stories in your tradition is that Abraham took his most beloved, his one and only son, the promised son, and he went to Mount Moriah. And he was going to thrust a knife through his beloved son's chest and kill him and sacrifice him. Which looked like contradiction to all that the living God, the living Yahweh believes in. Why did that happen? 
And God provided a sacrificial lamb. And in your Jewish culture, for centuries in the Old Testament, every single week, almost every single day, in order to cover sins, the sacrificial lamb was offered. And according to Isaiah 53, according to Isaiah 53, there was going to come a time where God would be the ultimate father. He would be Abraham. Abraham was God's representative, only this time it would be the real thing. The ultimate God of the universe would go to a mountain and he would take his lamb, Jesus. And the book of Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone his own way. But the Lord God placed upon him the iniquity of us all. Surely we esteemed him stricken and weak and cursed by God. But in fact, he was stricken for our iniquity. The chastisements that we deserved were placed upon him. And by his stripes, we were healed. What happened that day? God the Father, working behind the scenes, human beings responsible for everything that happened, but in an ultimate story of redemption, God the Father laid out his son, and his son laid himself on the altar, and Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins. That's what I taught you about. Your sins are covered. They're paid for. The justice of God has been fully met. And you can go out scot-free because of what Jesus did. But how do you know that that's true? And how do you know that your hope, how do you know that your hope is true? If you're sitting here today and say, man, I trust in Jesus and I'm living by faith and I haven't seen him, David, but I want to believe in him and I'm going to trust him and I want to do that the rest of my life. You say, Dave, how can I know that it's true and how can I know that God's accepted what he did? And the answer to that question is because Jesus is the only man that ever lived that wasn't just a good teacher, wasn't just a good philosopher, wasn't just a good religionist, wasn't just a great miracle worker. But the story tells us that unlike any other man, any other man that I would talk to you about, I would tell you about him being born. I would tell you about his parental upbringing, about his childhood. I would tell you about his career. And I would tell you about his dying. And then we would close the book because biography is over. But I want you to know, brothers and sisters, today is about there's one man in space, time, in history. Just as certainly as you can begin today and start marching back through time. There was a Ronald Reagan. There was a Teddy Roosevelt and a Franklin Roosevelt. There was an Abraham Lincoln. There was a George Washington. Those people might just be dusty people in the history books for you. But every one of you understand that, that there was a day, if you lived in the 1700s, you'd go and you could see George Washington. And you, if you were in his army, you could go across the Delaware with him. And powerful things happened to found our nation. You can go back in time farther. And there's incredible events that happened in the 1600s. And in the 1500s, Martin Luther really did nail those 98 theses on the door. And Reformation took place. And you can go back further. And in the 600s, there is a Pope Gregory the Great that actually made changes. Those are real, honest-to-goodness people. And you can take things that they wrote. And you can take books written about him. And if you went back in time, you could eat with them. And you could be with them. Well, you can go right back in the first century. And the Bible is telling us that there's a person named Jesus. And you happen to live in a world that's been profoundly impacted by this Jesus. That's what it's about. You can curse him, you can forget about him, you can ignore him, but you happen to live in a world where Jesus was actually here. And history has never been the same. And as we go back to the first century, we find out that he was born, he was raised by Mary and Joseph, we find out that he lived his career, had his Galilean ministry, had his ministry down in Judea. He eventually ended up on a cross. But incredibly, 
like no other man in history. His biography doesn't end with, and he died. Because on the third day, Mary Magdalene and Mary and Salome and some of the other women that traveled with Jesus went to the tomb to anoint his body. They weren't hysterical women looking to see some great light. I can tell you all kinds of experiences of people that supposedly see their loved ones after they died and there's some ethereal, you know, mystical kind of a, a bright light or someone you can, a ghost that you can go right through and, and everyone keeps appearing back again. And, and our culture is really into that, but that's not what we're talking about this morning. You see, what happened that day is Mary Magdalene was there and when she got there, the stone was rolled away, a real stone. It was rolled away. And when she looked in the tomb, it was empty. And so she ran away. She just couldn't figure out, you know, what was going on. She ran away and she got Peter and John. The apostle Peter, the big mouth of the disciples, the leader of the disciples, you know, the one that had just denied the Lord, but he's gathered up in the upper room, scared to death, and they run back to the tomb. John outruns Peter. He was in really good shape. But he's a heaven and guy. He's kind of a path. He's kind of a quiet guy. Some of you that are good runners and don't like to rumple things too much. And you're kind of a passive guy, not aggressive. You'll identify with John the Apostle. John hangs back. Peter's the aggressive guy. He's the let's go for it. Let's do it. He would have been the linebacker on the football team. Peter bombed into the tomb. And he looks. And John tells in his gospel that John ducked his head in and looked right after Peter did. And what did John see? He said he saw on the shelf. The grave clothes still lying there. Whatever you believe about Judas, you've got to explain the grave clothes. Because all the objective witnesses, all the stuff going right back in the first century tells us that the grave clothes were there. It tells us the headpiece was neatly arranged. And you can hold that these guys just lied like crazy. They spent their whole life going all over the world, getting millions, thousands of other people. Eventually, millions of people have believed what they said. And you can believe, well, the whole thing's just a big lie. You can believe that. To me, it stretches my, my credibility. It, stress, it, it, it stresses everything I know about reality. Because Peter had just denied the Lord. He had just become a scaredy cat when a girl talked to him at, during Jesus' trial. But suddenly he's telling me that with the Apostle John, he sees the grave clothes there on the shelf. It says, John saw and he believed. And Peter and John, it tells us that Peter left wondering what had happened. Mary Magdalene, ladies, was there by herself, left alone. She turned away from the tomb. The book of John tells us she's crushed. And, and unlike what some critical scholars might say, that she was some hysterical woman that was just dying to see Jesus alive and wanted Jesus to be alive, and her wish fulfillment came true because she saw kind of a vision. All Mary can think of, he's gone. How can I bury him? How can, I, how can I go to his tomb? How can I do what women in Israel long to do to be able to honor our dead? And she sees someone that she thinks is the gardener through her tears. She doesn't recognize him. And she says, sir, they've taken away the one that I love. Where have you laid him? If you know, tell me so I can go and I can honor him. She's thinking what all of us would have thought. Man, he, I just saw my Lord crucified and dead and weakness and suffering in the grave. And I, I heard him yell, it is finished. And he breathed his last. And I, I saw them take him down from the cross. And we laid him in the tomb and now he's gone. And all she can think of, just please tell me where you took the body. And suddenly she hears, Mary, Mary, Mary. And one day every one of you that know Jesus are going to hear your name. 
and you're going to join Mary because I want you to know Mary grabbed a hold of an ethereal spirit, of a blazing light. Mary grabbed a hold of some imagination in her mind. That's not what John says, brothers and sisters, and that's not what today is about. If you want to believe that, you can be a Greek philosopher. If you want to believe that, you can believe in the New Age. But in space, time, and history, all the witnesses say that Mary Magdalene grabbed a hold of the feet of Jesus, and there was real feet, and you could grab a hold of them, and she clung to him, and he didn't disappear. He had a body, just like the body he had when he was with her those three and a half years. He was alive again. That's what today is about. Today is about the one man in all the universe that did what deep in our soul every one of us want to happen. When you lose a loved one, when you say goodbye, when you experience the reality of, of having death grab a hold of one of your loved ones, what you long for is you want to be able to eat with them again. You want to be able to talk with them again. You want to be able to be with them again. You want them to have a substance and a body just like they had when they were with you. And that's what Jesus did early Sunday morning. Jesus, the man that had laid on a slab, like I've been with, with, with uh, those that are embalming, and I've seen the bodies laid out on a steel table. Ugly sight, deadly, gruesome sight. What I want you to know is that your Savior has been on that table. And they wrapped his body. But you know what this morning is about? This morning is about your greatest enemy, an enemy that all six billion people on earth are facing, and you're going to have to face it. You're facing it today. No respecter of persons. You know what Easter is about? There is one man that experienced that deadly, devastating final curse of death. And he beat it. He came back. He rose again from the dead. And he appeared to his disciples. And I want you to turn to 1 Peter. Because remember I told you about Peter going out and wondering what in the world had happened. This man that had been a denier. In 1 Peter you get to read about what it was like in the end of his life. And what he was experiencing. Really just before he was martyred himself for his commitment to Jesus. Peter is writing to some people just like you. Some people that are scattered all over Asia Minor, really up at the southern end of the Black Sea. And Peter's talking to them. And look what he says. He suddenly breaks into praise. As a Jewish man, he breaks into a blessing, a barakah, we might say, which a Jewish person would ordinarily praise Yahweh and praise the Creator and praise the one who gave the law of Moses. But look what Peter does in verse 3. He says, praise be to God, blessed be the God. Even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then I say, all right, Peter, why are you so excited on, on this Easter morning? Why should I get excited? Why should I be filled with praise? He says, first of all, because of God's mercy. Because of God's mercy. And not just a little bit of mercy, but because of his overflowing mercy. I want you to know that you might think God is cursing you. You might think that God is against you. You might only come to church maybe once or twice a year because, man, it just scares the willies out of you because you think God might zap you. I've had people tell me, man, David, if I went to church, the whole roof would cave in. And what you're telling me is you think God's against you. And I want you to know something on this Easter day. The ultimate God of the universe, the God that created you, is not against you. He's overflowing with merciful love towards you. You say, Dave, why do I need mercy? Because every one of us need mercy. Because deep inside of every one of your hearts, we've all blown it. Every one of us. There is none righteous, no, not one. And Peter busts into praise because every one of us needs God's abundant, overflowing, all-encompassing mercy. 
Mercy is when a judge has a criminal that deserves to be on death row forever and then to go and go to the electric chair or the gas given to them or whatever we're going to do to execute them. Mercy is when the judge says, but I'm going to let you go free. You're not going to have to pay. And what God said is my abundant mercy said you can go free. It's not because I just let things go, but because my son took your place. That's what Peter's talking about, what I've been sharing with you so far. Peter busts in the praise because of the great mercy that God has given to us. But then he said that this mercy has been expressed, and it says that God has borne us again. The NIV writes it that you have been given new birth, but the Greek literally says God has borne us again. There came a point in time where God gave us a new birth. What happens is that this resurrection power of Jesus is not just something that gave life to him, but the moment you trust in Christ, the moment you believe in Christ, the scripture's telling us that you are resurrected inside. You are given a spiritual life that's going to last forever and ever. The Bible even tells us that the Holy Spirit come to live inside of you. And that's what Peter's busting in the praise about. He's saying, you have been born again. You used to be in a body. You used to be in a spiritual nature that was going to be destroyed forever. We're going to be eternally separated from God. But because of God's merciful love, when you trusted Christ, God created a new eternal person inside of you. And if you know Christ today, my brother or sister, then you're going to live forever. And even physical death isn't going to separate you from his love. And one day, based upon what Jesus did, God's going to take your body And it's going to be resurrected. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be transformed. But it's going to be related to the body you have right now. And you're going to be raised to live with Jesus forever and ever and ever. That's what Easter is about. You've been born again to a living hope. Been born again to a living hope. What's this living hope? God's mercy. God is born again and this creates a living hope. Remember what I started out with today saying the truth of the matter is if you live long enough, all your hopes will die. All the things that give your life meaning will die. Everything will be taken away from you. Everything. That's the world we live in. It just sucks the hope out of us and it causes us to cry out. It's emptiness, it's empty. But this man, Peter, is now an elderly man, soon to lose his life. And he says, but I have a living hope. I have a hope. I have a confidence. God's going to fulfill his promise to me, and it will never, never die. And you say, well, Peter, how do I know that that's true? And Peter said that the basis of it all is it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he has given us an inheritance that will never perish. It will never spoil. It will never fade because it's kept in heaven for you. You know what I'm excited about today? Jesus Christ has created in me a new life that will never grow old, that will never spoil, that will never fade, that will never disappear, that will never prove to be unfounded. And you say, Dave, how do you know it's true? Because in space, time, and history, as I go back through time, Jesus on the third day, in the body, in history, objectively, rose again from the dead. We haven't found religion here today, friends. Some of you have been exposed to religious teaching that says this is a great idea. And Jesus is the, is the empowerment of love. And he lives on in our spirit. And he lives on in our hope. And he brings great joy to us. Because what an incredible myth that he's created. Baloney. The Dallas paper talked about some critical scholars say that the dogs took his body and they chewed it all up and it's gone. 
And that's why they thought the tomb was empty, because the body was gone. If that's true, then we should walk out of here and we should curse God and curse Jesus and just go for it the best we can, because you've got only so much time and drink and have fun. If that's what happens. Because the idea stinks if it's not true. And it's not what the early disciples, Peter didn't say, man, I saw some ethereal vision and I know it was kind of spooky and it was imaginary, but it really changed my life and it's going to change your life too, this spooky, ethereal, mystical thing. And some of you have been raised in that kind of teaching and I want to make it really clear. I am not preaching to you this morning because I believe that this is a great story. I think it's a lousy story. It's gruesome. It's violent. It's powerful, but it's ugly. And man, if it ends with Jesus dead, if we say, well, he hung on the cross as a great example of God's love to us, I say, God must be the devil. If that's what he makes his son go through, just to teach me a great example and to try to motivate me to be self-sacrificial, then he's like someone that abuses his children. That's what a lot of religious teachers are saying. But I got news for you. The Bible reveals that something objective, something real, something parable happened. That day, Jesus justly, objectively, finally paid the penalty that I deserved. And on the third day, what we're here to celebrate, Jesus rose again from the dead. Amen? Up from the grave, he arose. You know what that means? That means that when my Mary thinks back over all the pain... And all the sorrow, and they think about going to a gravesite and seeing Arthur Van Campen separated from them. You know what today means to them this morning? Because of Jesus. This story hasn't ended. We're at a bad, rugged part of the story, and we're going to cry, and we're going to miss them. But because of Jesus, through the resurrection of the dead, we're going to see them again. And we're going to eat with them again. And we're going to be with them again. And our life is not in vain. Because just as certainly as Jesus rose again from the dead, you can be certain if you've trusted in Jesus, then you're going to receive the same glorious, victorious new life. The first thing I want you to know about today that we rejoice and we say, blessed be God, is number one, because Jesus rose again from the dead in history, in space, time, and history, then I'm going to rise again in space, time, and history. That's what's going to happen to you. The Bible teaches, yes, if you die now, your spirit will go to live with Jesus and he'll preserve it for you and you'll be with him. You'll be very conscious. You'll be in his presence. But the Bible teaches that that our great hope is that one day the body that you have now is going to be gloriously transformed, but it's going to be related to the body you have now and you're going to live in a real objective place forever and ever and ever. It's not just some dream world. That's what makes Christianity so different. Now, what does that mean for us right now today? You know what? The living hope relates to the way that you live right now because the Bible tells us something not just about our future victorious glorification, the fact that we're going to be victorious over death, as great as that is. And I want all of you that have lost your loved ones, and I'm standing with you today. You know, as you stand there in the hospital, as you sit there in intensive care, as some of you as EMT watch people's life ebbs out, I don't want you to quit. And I don't want you to drink, and I want you to get cynical. I want you to be able to focus on Good Friday, but remember Easter, because you've got a Savior that's going to beat it all, and has already beaten it, and those that trust in him, that's not going to be the end, because there's an empty tomb, and the grave clothes are left behind. But you know what it means to me today? When I was five years of age, 
the resurrected Jesus came to live inside of me. Now, he's at the right hand of God, and he has a body. Some of you kids, if you want to, if you were to die today, you could put your fingers right in the nail prints, right there, through Jesus' wrist, and Jesus will be able to talk to you about what he did on Calvary for you. If you want to, you can look at his side, and you can look at the scar that's there. You're going to have a glorified body, and Jesus could have eliminated all that, and he's going to do that for you, like you're not going to have all the blemishes and stuff. You're going to be glorified, okay? You won't have to worry about your diet. You won't have to worry about, you know, putting on makeup. You'll be awesome. This is real. You could do this. If you go to be with him, Jesus right now is at the right hand of God in a body. Not some wishy-washy ethereal spirit. But Jesus is also, through his Holy Spirit, is present in my life. And that's the second thing I want you to remember in this Easter today. Not only that you have victorious victory over death. You don't have to be scared of death anymore. Every one of you parents can sit down with your little kid when they experience the loss of an animal and they begin to feel that thud and that agony of death. I want every one of you parents to be able to preach like I'm preaching now to your kid, only quieter. And tell them they don't need to be afraid anymore. Because Jesus experienced all that and he beat it. He rose again. And, and from the time they're just little kids, I want every one of our kids to never be afraid of the dark. Never be afraid of funeral homes. Never be afraid of death because they've met the Savior. From the time they're just little kids, they're taught. Man, we know the agony of all that. Our Savior's faced all that. And we know it hurts and we cry. But we don't have to be terribly, unbelievably frightened because we don't know what's going to happen because our Savior's beat it all. But you know what? The second thing we need to teach him is Jesus come to live inside of you. Some of you have been trying to turn over a new leaf. Every, almost every one of you in this room know you need to live a good life. Every one of you know that you need to not lie, that you shouldn't be jealous. Every one of us today are wrestling with sin. In fact, if we talk really honestly, you would say, man, there's some things that aren't right in my life. I need to do something about it. And everybody is trying to tell you what to do about it. In fact, across America today, there will be religious teachers telling people, you need to come to church more often. You need to try to be good. And they'll tell you what you need to do to be good. We're, We're pretty good at that. The Ten Commandments ring really strong in a Jewish heritage and Islamic heritage and our heritage. But you know what Easter is about? Jesus is the only teacher. He's the only Savior that doesn't just tell you to be good. But he can come and live inside of you because he's alive from the dead and he can give you the power to be good. Did you hear what I just said? You're not going to ever control your tongue. You're not going to ever control your anger. You're not going to ever control your green jealousy. You're not going to ever control your immorality. You're not going to ever control your big mouth that stretches things and and hurts people. You're not going to ever control any of that. And if you think you can do it in your own strength, then you're going to end up being part of the evil people that turn away from what is good. What you need to do this morning is admit, just as I am without one plea, I don't have anything I can do in my own strength. But it doesn't end there. I want you to turn to the book of Ephesians because there's just an incredible verse in the book of Ephesians about our present transformation. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. You all know Ephesians 2.8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, but it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But you might have missed verses 5 and through 8. Look what it says. Incredible verses. It just said that we're dead in our sins and all the ugly things we're doing and we're living under the power of the evil one. But look at verse 5. It says, God who is rich in mercy at the end of verse 4, just like 1 Peter told us, what did he do? God's mercy not only gives you a living hope, but you know what God's mercy has done today? It's made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins. It is by grace you've been saved, and God has raised us up with Christ 
and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in order that in the coming ages he might show his incomparable riches of his grace to me. You know what Paul is saying? Easter Sunday is not just something that happened way back then. And it's not just something that has to do with Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, but it has something to do with every single one of you. What Paul is telling us here, that the moment that you invite Jesus to come to live inside of you, when Jesus creates that new spiritual life inside of you, from God the Father's perspective, from Jesus' perspective, you are raised with Christ, and your life is hidden with him. Because the power of Jesus' resurrection that caused him a dead man, a man that experienced all that agony on the cross, the deadness of Jesus on the cross that was beaten on Easter Sunday when Jesus rose again from the dead, it's not just past resurrection power. It's so important to think about the incredible power that raised Jesus from the dead. But I want you today to also focus on the incredible power of resurrection that's available to you and present to you. Did you hear what Paul is saying? He's saying that those that received the mercies of God and those that invited Jesus to come to live inside of them, it said that they were raised with Christ. God the Father takes your life and he places you eternally with his Son in resurrection power. And what that means in Ephesians 1 is that you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit come to live inside of you. So as you are sitting here in this room, if you know Jesus... If you're struggling to live the Christian life and you're trying to turn over a new life and you're trying to work hard for him, you need to forget it. You need to open your heart and trust that Jesus lives inside of you. And you can be totally honest with him and say, Jesus, this is what I am without you. And this is what I think without you. And this is what I do without you. But you rose again from the dead. And Paul told me in Ephesians chapter 2 that you not only raised yourself from the dead, but you came to live inside of my life and you've raised me and you've already placed me in my eternal relationship with Jesus. That is incredible good news. And that's what's going to transform your life. If you believe that, if you believe that you've been raised together with Christ, if you believe that, and right now that you believe that Christ lives inside of you, you know what? You're going to have power over besetting sin and evil. And as you submit to Christ, and as Dave submits to Christ slowly, those that lie will start telling the truth. Those that steal and cheat in their income tax will be truthful. Those that have immoral thoughts and lust after people that don't belong to them will suddenly become one woman, one man kind of people. Because it really works. Because Jesus really did rise again from the dead. And all flows from this is real, this is objective, this is what Jesus really did. You see, Easter morning means that Jesus not only gave his victory over death, but Jesus has given his victory over sin. Because his resurrection power is not just something that happened back then, but it's something that happens right now in Dave Wurtzen's life, and I hope it's happening in your life. The Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians wrote like this. He says, since you have been raised together with Christ, Colossians 3 verse 1, since you have been raised together with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your things above, not on earthly things, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And that brings us to the third thing I want you to see. Number one, that Easter Sunday means that because Jesus in the body historically in time has conquered death, we're going to be victorious over death because we've trusted in him. 
Second, his resurrection power can transform your life because the resurrection has happened spiritually in your life now. And that becomes the ground of all the life transformation. But thirdly, there's going to come a time. There's going to come a time. Your body might be put in the ground. And you know what? You could be doing that for me this year. And I could be doing that for you. But you know what Easter Sunday means? Easter Sunday means absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt because Jesus rose. You know what? Dave Wurtzman, if he dies, is going to rise again. And I know it for sure. So I don't have to be afraid anymore. You say, Dave, how do you know that? Because the Apostle Paul, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, just listen to this. Jesus is saying, David, the reason you shouldn't use your body and join it in immorality, the reason you need to keep yourself only for Mary, and I raise my hand and say, Paul, why do you want me to do that? He says, David, because your body is really, really important. And I say, well, how important is my body? You know, why do I need to keep it pure? Why do I need to use it for your glory? And the Apostle Paul answers that question like this. He says, because by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead. And he says, Dave, he will raise you also. He will raise us also. Every one of you that have trusted in Jesus, the scripture says that one day your body that you're sitting in now is going to be gloriously transformed and it's going to be raised just like Jesus' body was raised. That's what the Christian hope is on you. Another verse put it like this in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, and so you're going to experience physical death. Yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. In other words, you've been given this eternal spiritual life that's going to last forever. And then it says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body. Through his spirit who lives in you. How could it be more plain? You know what Paul is saying? If you've trusted Jesus, you've received a spiritual life. And if you were to die, that spiritual life will be taken to live with him. But the Bible teaches something far more than that. As great as that is. The Bible teaches that just like Jesus' body was put in the grave. And just like the Holy Spirit and God the Father and God the Son united together because they were eternal, they were the creators of all things, death couldn't hold the Son, the Son of God came back to life again. You know what the Bible is teaching? Every one of you, every one of you that have trusted in Jesus, every one of you that have trusted in Jesus, one day, just like Jesus experienced Easter, you're going to experience Easter. Al Bauckham stands daddy. Great Mr. Texas helped us to build our church. My friend that brought me down to Midlothian went on trips to Mexico with him, sat in business meetings by the hours with him, sat there in the back even when we moved to this auditorium, and even as Alzheimer's began to take away his mind, he still welcomed many of you to the church. He spent the last several years of his life not even knowing who he was. It's one of the most cursed and difficult stories, the devastating agony of Alzheimer's. What do you do with Alzheimer's? You know what you do with Alzheimer's? You bring it to Easter. You know what Easter means? Easter means, first of all, Al's in his right mind with his Savior. His spirit's hidden with Christ in God today. His loved ones can focus on that today. But you know what the Bible teaches? The Bible teaches again that Al was not only victorious over death because Jesus was victorious over death, Al not only had a time in his life where he realized that it wasn't just wearing a good hat, being a good person that made you a child of God. You had to let Jesus come to live in your heart. And Al was spiritually resurrected and had that transforming power of Jesus come to live inside of him. 
And Al has now experienced death in this final great hope. As the Bible says, there's going to come a day, and it could be today. Jesus is going to call. The trumpet will sound. And just like Jesus experienced Easter morning, Al Bauckham will come back to live in a body. And you know what? He can wear his big, white, Texas 10-gallon hat. Because his body, and the hat won't go right through his body. It'll sit strong and firm. That's what Easter's about, my friend. If you've lost a loved one. And you say, Dave, what's so important about this? Do you realize some of you have heard this story so many times, you don't even understand how precious it is. If I was a Jewish rabbi sitting before you today, I couldn't tell you about a man who lived in space, time, and history who rose again from the dead. I could tell you about great examples. I could tell you about a great lawgiver named Moses. But I couldn't tell you about a man who went to battle with our greatest enemy. He rose again from the dead. If I was Islamic today, I had the great imam, I could teach you about all the different laws of Islam. I could teach you about all the culture of Islam. I could take you to see some of the most beautiful artistic buildings that have ever been built. But if I was an imam today teaching about Islam, I could tell you that Allah is great, Allah is good. But I couldn't tell you that Allah loved you so much that he sent his one and only son. And in space, time, and history, the God-man, God's son, in all of his power and glory, gave his life for you. There's lots of different ways you can believe. Yeah, there is. There's all different kinds of ways you can believe. But no matter how many systems you study, no matter how much information you learn, you're going to find out if you live long enough that there's only one Savior that ever lived in a body on this planet who did battle with the most vicious enemy of all. It's called the enemy of death. And he won. Everybody else lost. And that's why I love him today. Because he is alive. He is alive forevermore. And because he lives, I don't have to be afraid of death anymore. Because he lives, I have resurrection power to have my life transformed. And thirdly, one day, my body, though dead, is going to be glorified and live forever and ever. You say, Dave, how do I get in on all that good news? It's really easy. You don't need to try to put the Ten Commandments on a mirror and try to follow every one of them every day. You don't need to eat certain kinds of food. You don't need to wear a special kind of clothes. You don't have to go to Mecca. You don't have to go to Jerusalem. You don't have to go on a Holy Land trip with me. You don't have to do anything at all except one thing. You know what you have to do this morning, right now? You should believe. You say, Dave, what are you talking about? I believe Jesus is alive right here this morning. And I believe that I've, as I've been speaking, Jesus has been talking to you, the resurrected Jesus. He's not just dead. He's alive. He's alive talking to you. Some of you have heard him today. You know what he's saying to you? He says, you need to just come to me just as you are, just as I am without one plea. I want you to know clear today. I don't want you to get more religious. I don't want you to come to church that will never make it. But on this Easter Sunday, you need to come just as you are without one plea. But that Jesus' blood on Good Friday 2,000 years ago was shed for you. To him whose blood can cleanse each spot. I don't care what you've done. I don't care if you've been divorced 150 times. I don't care if you have killed your babies. I don't care if you have been a terrorist. I don't care if you have lied. I don't care if you just cheated on your income tax. I don't care whatever you've done. Jesus' blood can wipe your slate clean. But that thy blood was shed for me. To him whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come. I want you just to open your heart to Jesus. If you say that simple prayer, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. 
Jesus, I place all of my confidence for eternal life in the fact that on the cross of Calvary, you took the wrath from me, you took the penalty from me. And Jesus, I believe that the tomb is empty because you're alive. If you've responded to the voice of Jesus and you invited Jesus to come to live inside of you, then I want you to know that just like that, right now, you have become a child of God. That's the incredible gift of God. That's the incredible mercy of God. What Easter Sunday needs to mean to you is that you know for sure that Jesus has come to live in your life.